uh, before we get into our, our text this morning, continue in our series, Countercultural, um, I've got an update, uh, a building update. And so uh, something has come on the radar uh, about a week or so ago, um, maybe miraculously. Uh, it would be a miracle if this thing worked out. Uh, it would both help uh, a local congregation and would uh, give us a permanent space. So uh, there are a, a bunch of huge barriers, I mean, big barriers. Um, so I just thought uh, we would pray. We would just uh, come before the Lord together right now and pray, Lord, if this is what you have for us, would you do it? If not, would you shut the door and uh, in your sovereignty give us something different, something better uh, that we might minister the gospel here for generations to come. So uh, let's take a minute or two and just pray. I'm not going to give you any more details, uh, but just know uh, it, it would be miraculous and amazing. And there are some massive barriers, uh, but our God uh, is a miracle worker. So let's uh, let's pray. Uh, let's pray out loud. The Lord will sort out our prayers, uh, and then I'll, I'll close uh, us in prayer together. So pray all out loud, all together uh, to the Lord uh, for this uh, together now. Let's pray. And so, Father, we just come before you now. Uh, we don't know your plans. Uh, we don't presume to know them. But, God, what we know is we long to be a church that is planted here for generations to come to minister the gospel, to see lives transformed, to see churches planted, to see the area blessed. And we also long to be a church that would help uh, revitalize and support and care for other congregations in this area that are preaching the gospel. So, God, if this is your plan, we pray you do it. We just pray you do it. God, there are so many massive barriers. We pray that you'd rip them down and you would make this happen for your glory, for your purposes, for the gospel going out for generations. And God, if it's not your plan, we hold it uh, loosely as well. And we say, uh, Lord, in your timing, in your provision, in your sovereignty, would you give us what's right for us for a permanent location? We trust you. We love you. It's, we're just so glad, God to be satisfied by you alone first, not by a building, not by anything else. We're so glad that you bring our deep satisfaction, eternal purpose, life, and peace apart from anything else. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's get into this. This is a, a really neat passage where uh, Paul is uh, talking about praying and then leaps right into praying. Uh, he gives two requests and the reason for those two requests, uh, and they're critical for us today uh, in the divisive and splintered world in which we currently live, in the divisive and splintered church in which we currently live. Uh, these two requests and, and this reason are critical for us today, so we'll just look at each request that Paul lays before the Lord for uh, himself and the church in Thessalonica and then that reason as they all apply to us today in this time. Request number one. Uh, we'll start reading in chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, you've heard it a couple times, but let it sink in. Uh, and then we'll focus at the end uh, where Paul begins praying. 
But now that Timothy has come to us from you in Thessalonica and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love and reported to you that you always remember us kindly and you long to see us as we long to see you. He says, uh, now that Timothy's come, I, I'm probably here, Paul, in Corinth, uh, waiting and wanting to get back to you in Thessalonica. Uh, so I sent Timothy to kind of receive news of how you guys are doing. And he's, he's brought great news of your faith, of your love, that you remember us kindly, that you long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. It can kind of be translated, now we can breathe easy. Now, now we can enjoy life because we know you're doing well. You're standing fast in the Lord. Verse 9. For what thanksgiving? How, how We could not even thank our God enough. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake and before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We are praying all the time, night and day, the duration of our prayer, it does not cease. We're, we're working hard for you, we're preaching the gospel for you, and we are praying night and day for you all, that we may see you face to face in the flesh and supply what is lacking in your faith. Man, what thanksgiving could we give if the Lord answered our prayer that we are praying night and day to see you face to face. Now Paul, he can kind of barely restrain himself. So he dives right into prayer. <laughs> now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. This is request number one. He says we've been praying it night and day that we long to be with you, uh, but now he actually prays it. Request number one. May you, God, may you, God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, kind of this double subject, now a singular verb, would you, may you direct our way back to the church in Thessalonica. We want to be with them face to face. We want to be in the flesh. We're praying night and day. We are praying earnestly. Take us back to our people. Make us one again. Whatever the barriers are, would you, Lord, make a way that we could break through them, that we could be back together again? Whatever's hindering us from being together, whatever's hindering us from being uh, physically together and relationally together, united together, would you break them down? Would you make a way so we could be together again? God, bring us together. God, when everyone else is running away from a relationship, when everyone else is breaking relationship, when, when we live in a cancel culture, when there are so many barriers often self-imposed from keeping us in relationship, we want to be together. When everyone else is running away, we want to run towards. Uh, the prayer here that Paul prays is, uh, is echoes of John 17 when Jesus is in the garden. He says, would you make God's people, God, would you make your people one as we, Father, are one, he says. 
when everyone else is splintered, when everyone else sees the differences and doesn't unite, when everyone else is, is far in distance and far in relationship, would you make your people one, God? And, and Jesus prays, even as we are one, you and I, uh, a unified God, but diverse in persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Uh, would, would they reflect us, Jesus prays? There's even Trinitarian language in this verse, too, right? Would God the Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ, they two together as one, and now a singular verb, direct us back to you? Jesus prays it. Paul prays it. Would we come together? Would we be one? Would it image the very nature of our God, the way we live in unity and diversity together? And the analogies of the church kind of uh, show this picture as well. What are the analogies of the church that Jesus talks about? We'd we be a family together. All different, but really united together as one family. Would we be the temple, the living temple of God, where God himself, the, the uh, triune God, uh, who is uh, one God but diverse in persons, uh, would we be a place where everyone could dwell together, built on the cornerstone of Christ? A family, a temple, a body. Would, would we not rip our arm off? <laughs> but be united together in place and physicality and purpose with one another. Would we be an army that's in lockstep together, marching in step with one another? Uh, don't miss this because this is critical for our time today and our place today. Don't miss this because this is critical this request of God, bring us together in physical relationship, in deep spiritual relationship, in the bonds of relationship. God, bring us together as a unified, diverse people together. Uh, you are serious about relationship, God. Our God is serious about relationship. Uh, he doesn't take the relationships that he knits us together as family, as, as a living temple, as, as the body of Christ. He doesn't take them uh, flippantly, but he's serious about this. See, we're often just way too flippant about these relationships here. It doesn't matter kind of uh, the, the little things kind of just always rip us apart or, or uh, when we choose kind of where to live, we, we uh, don't even consider where our church relationships and family are or all these. Uh, you, know, who's, you know who's the best at this? The seriousness of a relationship. Military families are the best at this. When a military family moves to the area, you know what they do right away? See, they didn't have a choice in kind of where they were deployed, where, where they're going to serve the next two, three years. Uh, they're bouncing all over the country, then all over the world. What they do right when they get to a place is they dive in deep right away. They say, I need a community group. Get me in one. I, I want to serve in the church. Why? Uh, not just because they want to give them their, themselves, which they do, but, but they know that God is serious about relationship. There's life to be found knit together tightly in the body. As a body, as a family, as a temple, as an army. God is serious about relationships. And, and then uh, the physicality of relationships matters too. Right here, Paul is, is just praying for the physical presence, a face-to-face -face relationship uh, with the church of Thessalonica. You know, he has the technology to stay far apart from these people. He's got letters. 
right? He, say, he sends letters to all these churches, right? Uh, but he says, a letter is not good enough. Live streaming is not good enough. Zoom groups are not good enough. He says, we got to come together in physical proximity. When the Lord says, I want to be with my people, what's he do? The incarnation. Jesus steps into time and place physically in the flesh to rescue us, to draw us to himself, to unite us with himself. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us not, Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Have we not gotten into the habit of not meeting together? Mask or no mask, right? We can double mask and come, right? But let's meet together. Out on back porches, in living rooms, uh, in worship. Physicality matters for the health of our soul, for our spirit, for our relationships. Gustav Holtz is one of my favorite composers, and he wrote this thing, The Planets, all right? So it's just one of the best. Jupiter is my favorite in there. Mars, maybe you've heard it. Dun, 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 that's Mars. Uh, but Jupiter's got, it kind of starts off really nice, and then it grows really big. And, and he's, it's one of my favorite pieces. And uh, even in college, it was, I played trumpet all the way through college. And um, so I had these big old Marant speakers. I mean, they were really big. And I took them to college with me. They could pump out the sound. And it was the first week of school. And I'm thinking, I never get to play my music this loud at home. But here at school, I can play it as loud as I want. Now, uh, you know, some students are pumping Pearl Jam or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dave Matthews Band or Pat McGee was big at the time. And so I put in my big old speakers up and I start pumping Gustav Holtz, Jupiter. I mean, it was so good. I'm sitting in there with my roommate, and I'm like, yeah, this is good. Uh, then comes seminary, right? Uh, a bunch of years later, uh, I'm in Dallas, uh, Dallas Theological, and, and there they had this really sweet deal where uh, you could get free tickets to the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. And then I get these free tickets to say, Gustav Holtz, the planets, Dallas Symphony Orchestra. And Courtney and I go, and we sit and you hear Jupiter just going. And it, I mean, it seeps into your bones, into your soul, into yourself, uh, like, like no CD could ever do. That's right, I listened to CDs. I mean, that was a while ago. Physicality matters. I was early uh, in pastoring here. I pastored in uh, Dallas. So, you know, here is home. And when we came back to plant a church here on the East Coast, uh, we were early in the work, and this family gave birth to a severely uh, disabled child, and uh, it was unexpected. And uh, it's, it's kind of heading into Friday night, and I get that call, and I'm like, maybe I'll just pray for him over the phone. And Courtney looks at me. It's a pivotal moment for me as a pastor. She goes, you got to go. You got to go. Because physicality matters. You know, uh, someone who can help with the problem, a doctor steps into the room, that's one thing. When a friend, a pastor, a church member uh, comes and is with you, it means something totally different. Physicality matters. There's a seriousness to the relationship. Physicality matters in the relationship. Well, what's the motive for the relationship that uh, Paul is praying for? He says, I'm praying day and night. Why? That what is lacking, in, I might supply what is lacking in your faith. 
He says, I'm motivated not because of what I can get when I'm with you, but what I can give. Uh, uh, this verb is a really neat one. It means mending or making up for. A uh, fisherman uses it to mend kind of what's broken in the net. Uh, uh, a doctor uses it to mend a, a broken bone and set it back together. What is, what is lacking is now uh, provided for. And Paul says, I want to be with you in person uh, at your community group in, in Sunday morning worship. Uh, not so I can get something, but so I can give something. I'm here for your benefit, he says. I want to expend myself for you. That motivates me to be with you at the seriousness of the relationship, the physicality of the relationship, the motivation for the relationship. When we look at 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans chapter 12, we see how the body all fits together in a multi-gifted kind of way, everyone with different gifts, why that each could supply what's lacking in the other, and we can become one together in Christ. Lastly, there's an opponent to the relationship as well. Uh, we hear about him in chapter 2, verses 18, back before Paul begins praying. He says, I wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan is against this picture of real relationship, a diverse unity coming together here in the church like it might nowhere else. Our flesh pushes against it too. We've gotten into habits of not being together, not giving ourselves for the good of the other. Uh, I talked with a gal who came right before service. She goes, well, we can't be this week, but I'm coming next week. Our whole family's coming. I can't wait to be back. Even just being here before service is good for my soul. But there's an opponent to that kind of relationship. A self-giving and other-serving, other-glorifying kind of relationship that mirrors our Lord. And Satan doesn't want us to enjoy this kind of thing. He would way rather divide us. He would way rather divide us and keep us apart. A few points of application that this prayer might be answered in our lives together as God's church. Uh, first is physical distance. I just get it really nitty gritty and then we'll go into the next request. Uh, physical distance. Does it cross our mind uh, where we live and how that impacts our relationship with the church? Uh, sure, we gather here in Silver Spring, but we're scattered as community groups. And, and do we think about uh, when I move, uh, could I move even closer to one of these community groups? Or if I move here, will that impact uh, life and relationship there in my community group? Uh, or, or when I move, might I think of, uh, some, one of you emailed me and said, well, we're going to move. Uh, where are all the community groups so we can pick a place close to one? Praise God, Right? There's a seriousness to our relationships. There's a life to our relationships. When we move, do we consider physical proximity to our community group and to our church at large? The next nuts and bolts application, um, COVID. Have you not yet returned into real, physically present relationship? And what is driving those decisions? I'm not going to tell you what to do, where to go, how to go there, what to wear, what not to wear, any of that kind of stuff. But are, are you factoring in your spiritual health, your relational health in the decisions that you're making? Are you factoring in your God and his provision and protection as you make calculated risks? Are you coming together uh, to the maximum extent to which you can come together? Particularly if you're going shopping or traveling. Are you going to your community group and to worship as well? It matters. 
The next one where it's not physical distance or a barrier of COVID, but relational distance. Is there a relational distance in your life right now that is keeping you from coming to someone else in the church, drawing close to them? Uh, that someone else in the church might be your spouse or your kids or someone else who's sitting in the pews here or someone else you're glad that you're not sitting in the pews with you here. Because uh, cracks become canyons over time and bricks become walls and, and, and these kind of small conflicts will grow to a place where uh, you and your spouse will not talk any longer. You and your kids will find a, uh, a chasm growing between you. Uh, you and this church member who ought to be family with you will now be uh, demonized by you or gossiped about by you. Next, tangible application. What about membership? Have you decided this is your church home for this season that you'll take these relationships seriously? And for this season, when you're here in D.C., you'll give everything uh, in relational kind of uh, effort to stay connected to the body, to make this your family, to make this your home. Uh, that when Pastor Matt preaches something that rubs you a little bit wrong or, or when someone in your community group says something really offensive, uh, that you'll say, I'm still sticking with it. I'm in this thing. We were at a uh, community group leader training this past week. We were saying, well, hey, what do you love about the kind of community group, what the Lord is doing in there? And one of our leaders who had taken this decision seriously of membership and is stuck with it for faithful relationship over the years uh, through ups and downs, thick and thin. And he would stuck with it for, for fruitful ministry over the years to see uh, his gifts and his family's gifts used in and through the well. Uh, here's what he said. When, when we just asked the question, what are you enjoying about your community group? He just said it simply, and I just love my group. And he meant it. He loves them. He's fallen deeply in love. And that only happens over time, faithful relationships and fruitful service together. Let's take membership seriously. And if you're not a member, uh, hey, you, hey, it just happens that today there's a membership class, <laughs> second service you could stay for. So please do so. Before we head into the next request, let's join Paul in praying that we might be a church that comes together deeply for the long haul, relationally and proximity in all these sorts of ways. And let's pray against any barriers that you might be seeing in our church right now. Let's, let's pray out loud. Again, uh, the Lord will sort out our prayers. Let's pray along with Paul uh, in this request. Lord, bring us together. Let's pray now out loud all at once, all together. Father, what Satan would most like to see is that we would be a splintered body here in Silver Spring, that it would be an apologetic against your son. But Father, what we long to see is that you would make us a unified, diverse body together that runs towards each other when everyone else is running away. God, that sticks with each other when everyone else gives up on relationships. 
God, that overcomes every barrier in our lives that we might be with one another deeply, intimately, as family, as uh, your body together, as your army, as a living temple in which you dwell together. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul's request uh, number two comes in verse 12. Remember, Paul has busted out into prayer after talking about praying, and he says, And may the Lord's second request make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. Uh, Might our God, God the Father and God the Son, uh, God, would you, may you increase and abound our love? Would would our love uh, for one another, would it be uh, increased and would it abound so much that it overflows? This is, he's kind of praying for an amount of love here. Uh, Lord, when you bring us together, uh, would we not just kind of be together, but would, our, uh, would your love fill us and would it kind of increase in us so much that it would then overflow over us? Would the amount be overflowing? Uh, to who? Where, what is the area of his love? He then says, uh, for one another, uh, for us in the church, and for all. Lord, would you pour your love into us that our love for each other would would abound and overflow uh, for us here in the church and then for all, for everyone around us. Make us a loving people, request number two, for each other in Christ and for everyone, even those who don't yet know Christ. Inside the church, in the relationships that you can't pick, but you just are immediately a part of when you become a Christian. I wouldn't have picked him. Wouldn't have picked her. Oh, their kids are annoying. These are the people that God has made you family with. Would our love abound for one another? And outside of the church, uh, those who say, oh, you foolish, stupid Christians. Oh, you uneducated, bigoted Christians, would our love for abound and overflow for those outside of the church as well who often judge and disagree with us? I had a pastor friend uh, who who would answer this question. You know, uh, one of the, probably the first or second question someone asked you here is, so what do you do? And he would say this. He said, look, don't judge me, all right? Don't judge me for what I do. And then the person would say, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. And they're thinking, man, what does this guy do? You know, is he a lawyer? You know, that was a lawyer joke. (laughs) And then he'd say, I'm a pastor. Uh, Because uh, we as Christians don't have a great kind of reputation. Often earned. And often unearned. Uh, Particularly in this area. Might our love abound, might our relationships run thick that people might see a difference in us. Paul prays for that. Uh, I was at a youth group in high school, and I just thought this would be hilarious. We're in the middle of youth group, and, and you know, you got to that point where you're singing the really kind of very spiritual songs at this point, and uh, so everyone's really quiet, and, and I, I kind of... I was thirsty, and so I got this great idea. I had this big old pitcher that, that the, uh, they had in the back, and I had this little cup, and I just thought, this would be great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pour this whole pitcher into this little cup, and I'm going to do it over my leader's head who's sitting singing right now. 
that's going to be awesome. And so I'm a, I'm a sophomore in high school, right? And so I pour this huge pitcher. Well, it quickly fills up the cup, and then it just starts overflowing. And I just keep pouring the whole thing. And it soaks my leader. Needless to say, that didn't go well. But this is the image that Paul prays for and God gives, which is, uh, would we be filled with God's love, God's love which is so massive, so immense, that, that he would pour it out on us in Christ, that it would abound and overflow. There'd be more than needed to love one another, and then there'd be more than needed to love those, everyone around us. When we know the love of Christ, this is the overflow that we experience. Don't miss this. It's critical in our time today. The preeminence of love. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, uh, this lawyer comes to Jesus. He says, what's most important? And, And Jesus says, love the Lord your God, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love, that's what's most important. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, right? Paul is writing, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries, if I have knowledge and faith so as to move mountains, all these great things, right? But then he says, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. Worthless. It is Far less important to be right than it is to be loving in our setting today. Now, we want to be right, and I believe we are right in the gospel, right? But, but what the gospel makes us is humble, loving, gracious, merciful people. And in our current context, it is far more important to, to focus on the preeminence of love and relationship and moving towards and embracing people than it is to trumpet our rightness yell about how we know what is good and right and true rather than loving first and often and deeply. Let's not also forget love's proactivity. Uh, In that same love chapter, uh, Paul will go on and as he talks about love, and we know this, right? Love is patient. It's kind. Love doesn't envy. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not boast or insist on its own way. Love is what? Patient. Kind. Well, it doesn't just think patient thoughts. It does patient things. It doesn't just not want to be envious. It is not envious. It doesn't, uh, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It is active. It's a verb. Love is preeminent. Love is active. And uh, love is all about embrace in relationship. I, I love this because we see it in Jesus' life. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 and following, Jesus is passing on from there. This is early in his ministry in chapter 9 of Matthew. In verse 9, he sees a man called Matthew uh, sitting in the tax booth, and Jesus says to him, follow me, and he raised, raised up and followed him. Says, I want you a tax collector who everyone else hates. I want you to be in relationship with me. See, uh, this tax collector is cheating his own people to serve Rome, and everyone hates him and outcasts him. And then Jesus goes on. He doesn't leave it there, verse 10. And Jesus reclined at the table in, in the house of Matthew, and many tax collectors. Many sinners come and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
Why does he think love and relationship is most important? Why does he act on that love and relationship? Why does he embrace people like that? Why? Because Jesus is love himself. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we first loved him, but he loved us. And the Father sent the Son as a propitiation for our sins, a satisfaction of wrath, the God, that God loved us so much that Jesus himself ran towards us to be with us, to, to unite in relationship with us. And then he poured out his life on the cross as a satisfaction for our sins, to die in our place. He says, I loved you this much. Your, your sin, my sin, ought to bar us from relationship with him, but he embraces us through his life, death, and resurrection. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. A couple points of application that the Lord might answer this prayer in our lives today. Uh, the first is this. Love does not mean agree. Love does not mean, uh, not equal sign, agree. There's a great quote by Rick Warren. He says it this way. It's a pastor out in California. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Uh, if it were true that uh, we had to agree on everything in order to love, none of us would be married today. Actually, I think uh, uh, knowing what is true about who Jesus is and what he's done makes us more loving, uh, helps us run towards people we dis disagree with, helps us value people more that we disagree with because we know how our God has valued fools like us. Next is love often comes connected to truth. Love and truth are partners. We find that in Christ. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. John chapter 1, verse 14 talks about how Jesus comes full of grace and truth together. So often, uh, telling the hard truth is a part of loving. Saying the hard truth is a part of loving. Setting the hard and fast boundaries in relationship is a part of loving. Not just uh, protection for yourself, but care for the other person. And we will not love unless we are soaked in his love. Daily coming to him in confession and repentance, realizing his deep love for us that it might overflow through us. So let's do as we did before and pray in request to our God that he might answer this prayer in our lives. Uh, let's pray out loud all at one time in a jumble and I will close us in prayer together. Let's pray that he would make us a loving people where love abounds and overflows in our church and then through our church into the world. Let's pray together now.
Father, we want to love as we have been loved abundantly and in an overflowing way by your Son. God, would we daily see how, how, how short we fall of this calling, that, that we would then realize how greatly we are loved by you in spite of our failures, that we might then become loving and merciful people because you have loved us so greatly, God, would we love others in the same kind of way, those in our church and those not yet in our church who don't yet know you and your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The reason that Paul prays this, he has two requests. May you, God, direct our way towards each other. May you, God, make our love increase for one another and overflow and abound. And now the reason. So that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. God, we want to be holy. We want to live like you live. We want to be ready for your return. Uh, maybe you've been in a room and someone's walked in. When you were doing what you ought not to be doing, you had your hand in the cookie jar or you had your eyes on your phone in a place they ought not to be. And you said, oh my gosh. And, and Paul says, I pray that you would run towards one another, live as the church together, that your love would overflow for each other and overflow into the world. Why? That you would live like your God now and be ready for his return. When he shows up, you'd say, I'm so glad you're here. We have such a picture of this in Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and following. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We want to live as your children now. We are your children now. And we want to live like your son now because he has poured his love so generously on us. We want to run towards each other. We want to love each other like we've been loved because we know when you come back, Jesus, you're going to make us just like you are. We can't wait. Because we're holy in your holiness. Help us live it out today as we wait for your return. Unfortunately for us, I don't think we often keep the main thing the main thing. I don't think we keep Jesus central in our lives. I think we often make the superficial the fundamental. I think today particularly we are making many superficials the fundamentals. What would you do if I told you? In 2016 and in 2020, I voted for Donald Trump. What would you do if I told you in 2016, I voted for Hillary Clinton? In 2020, I voted for Bernie. What would you do if I told you that CRT, critical race theory, is integral for putting our nation back together today? What would you do if I told you today that CRT is ripping our nation and our church apart? What would you do if I told you I think mask mandates are foolish? 
What would you do if I told you that I think mask mandates are saving lives and you're a fool not to wear one? What would you do if I told you I have a Black Lives Matter sign in my front yard? What would you do if I told you that I cannot support Black Lives Matter? See, I think we have made something, whatever it might be, preeminent over Christ. So much so that when you hear one of these things from me or you hear one of these things from a friend or a family member or from a preacher or from someone in your church, what you do, what I do, is we break relationship and we run away from someone rather than continuing to run towards them. I think we do not love one another and listen to one another and and have healthy arguments but continue to embrace each other and to embrace those who think differently than us no matter what differently is for you. We don't have a God who did that for and with us. We have a God who ran towards us even though we were running headlong away from him. We have a God who ran towards us and gave his life for us even though we were overtly his enemy. And this God, through Christ, made us sons and daughters, his children that we would continue to run towards one another, that we would come together, that we would love one another in an overflowing way, in a way that it would overflow into our world, that we would find great solutions for what is best and what is right and how we live this out as the church, but we would do it together in relationship with one another because of the grace and the work of Christ. And he is our preeminent king. He is love itself poured out for us. He is the reason we live and cling to one another. He is the reason it's so important we figure out the answers to all these tensions and questions with each other that his love would overflow in our body and out into the world that so desperately needs a savior, not another ideology. So let's come this morning and remember who our God is and what our God has done that he will answer these prayers because one day we will see him and be made just like his son and forever we will live all tribes, tongues, and nations together in and under Christ, rejoicing for all of eternity. Let's take and eat and remember who our Jesus is and what he's done. If you're not yet a believer this morning, would you withhold taking communion and would you cling to Christ instead? He's calling you home. This is a God who has loved you by the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Would you become his child this morning and trust in him in prayer? And if you're his child, would you rejoice over who you are and what he's done for you and would his love overflow and abound in your life into the lives of others? Let's take and eat together.